Yeah, so good morning. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do have a Bible, whether it's a printed version uh, or something on your phone or tablet, please open to First Peter. We're in chapter 4. We will be beginning in verse 7. And just looking at five verses this morning, an awesome conclusion to the section that we've been in that Peter brings to us. So I just want to really encourage us uh, as we go into this. I know that most of you have noticed that over the last several weeks, um, over the last several weeks, what we've, uh, what we've noticed is that Peter has been focusing almost all of his attention on speaking to the members of the churches in Asia Minor uh, who are experiencing trials and persecutions for just being Christian, for just being obedient to the Word of God. And the main point that he's trying to get across is, here's how you should respond. Here's how we as Christians should respond to that. And one of the main points he makes is never return evil for evil. Despite the fact that you're being slandered, maligned, uh, persecuted in that way, not yet physically, although that's coming in like six or seven years, how you should respond as a Christian to the culture, to the people who are persecuting you. And it's always about gentleness and respect. It's about having a defense for the truth that is within you, which is the word of God with gentleness and with respect. And so it's a fantastic point that he's making. But I got to believe at this point in the letter, you can again imagine they're sitting there, they're hearing it being read on a Sunday morning just like you and I are. And at this point in the letter that they're going, okay, listen, Peter, this is great. But honestly, we get that the persecution of our faith is part of the deal. Okay, you've made that very obvious to us. It's part of the deal that we need to suffer these unpleasant realities just like Jesus did. Okay, we get that part too. And that there's an appropriate and Christ-like way to respond. But honestly, can we just ask you this question? When will it end? When's it going to stop? Right? I mean, I think it's understandable as well as we see in these opening words this morning when I read them. I I think I'm wondering if some of these Christians listening at that time are thinking like maybe some of you are here today. At that point, I mean, this is 15 years after Jesus has ascended, the churches have been planted, after years and years of suffering in this way, day in, day out, not seeing any daylight, at some point they're probably saying, Jesus, Jesus, (laughs) come on. When will you, like the people in the day who walked with you, establish your kingdom? You see, back in the day when Jesus walked the earth, you know the story. People were walking with him and going, okay, wait a second. Our understanding is the Messiah is going to come and he's going to overrule these these evil Romans and and he's going to set up his kingdom and we're going to be viceroy kingdom leaders with him. When are you going to do that? I got to believe in this day, same thing is happening in their minds where they're thinking, okay, Lord Jesus, when are you coming back? We've heard the Apostle Paul, Peter, and others talking about, you're going to come again. When's that going to happen? Sounds a little frustrated, right? But I think they might be getting there. And I think that's why sometimes some of us, yes, listen, some of us, despite the fact that we've just lived through this lovely global pandemic, remember? Remember? Anybody? Masks, vaccines, yay and nay. That was fun, wasn't it? Really? Political unrest like never before, mass murders, wars, severe weather events, on and on. And then you and I cry out from time to time, I have, I don't know about you, even so, Lord Jesus, please come quickly. Anybody? Does it ever get like that? Maybe you're not old enough yet. (laughs) Well, I think that's where they're at. And Peter senses that. 
Well, before he wrote this letter, he figured it's going to get to this point, and now I have to give them some words of really good encouragement, hopefully for them and for you and I here today. Let's read, beginning in verse 7. We'll read the text. It won't be on screen. We'll come back to it. We'll pray one more time, and then we'll have a look. Peter writes these words. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything. God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. His letter's not finished. Neither is the sermon. But let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day again. Ah, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for all that you have accomplished. I, la- I thank you, Lord, on behalf of all of us. Uh, but I just thank you, Lord, that we have these texts. We have this collection of books that uh, incorporate your word and the stories about you, Lord Jesus, the stories of the early church and what they endured and what they went through that are fantastic models for us. It's a legacy that we are given to continue. So I just want to thank you for blessing us in that way. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, uh, you would speak this message, you would use the words that you've given to me, the, uh, whatever they might be, And you would just bless us and encourage us and show us your will for our lives. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. Your sermon title for today is Long, Slow Distance. Some of you might have a clue where I'm going with this. Hope to show you three things from the text. Number one, examine yourself. Number two, love one another. Number three, serve one another. So number one, examine yourself. Let's look at the first verse. Verse 7 will be on screen. says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sakes of your prayers. You know, I like to start with questions. So I have one question for you to start with. Any runners out there? And I know some of you, I know some of you are runners, right? There was, <laughs> someone put up his hand and I'm going, no, no, actually you're not. Um, but that's okay. We, we get the joke. So, so believe it or not, believe it or not, some of you know my story. Like I, 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 I used to be a runner, um, and I still try to get out there and so forth, and I do, and I get bugged by some of you in this church to get out there more often with you. Uh, but back in my high school days anyway, it was, it was interesting. Many of you have heard uh, me talk about my, my hockey prowess back in the day, and it, I think what that helped with, because I was a hockey player literally since I was like five years of age and worked out all the time in hockey, and it, it helped me develop reasonably good quads. And uh, so in high school, I'd start going out to track meets at the high school and then eventually, you know, Toronto-wide track meets. And my specialty was the 100-yard dash and the 220. So that's 200 for you metric folks out there. Um, little known fact, it's just, I, I, I don't know, I haven't said this in a long time, but uh, at a Toronto meet at the CNE, the Canadian National Exhibition, one year, I won the 220 and actually set a record for a high school student of my age that lasted for one year. <laughs> until some turkey beat me, right? And I think they're getting faster and faster all the time. It's steroids. I'm, I'm going with that. Um, 
But anyway, I, I, I did do that. And then what happened as a result of that, I, you know, I was somewhat athletic. I loved sports. I really did. I tried everything. But I had a, we had a coach, a gym teacher coach in high school who said to me at one point, he goes, well, Glenn, you should try it for the cross-country team, right? And I was like, okay, sure. And so you know what that's all about, right? You're like, you, you, you usually run in rain and muckiness, even in Toronto, right? And you're running across terrain that's grass and then whatever, and you're jumping over creeks, right? And, and it's like, like 15, 20 miles or whatever, or whatever kilometers that is, right? And, and it, so I, I, I tried it. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Part of the reason was I was terrible. <laughs> My times, I like, was mid-pack at best, right? I just couldn't get that. I was like, what? I'm going back to sprinting, right? And so that's all I stayed with until about in my mid-30s, early 30s, actually. My job it was in the business life that I had was, you know, pretty stressful, and we lived in Richmond at the time, so it's flat land. And uh, I started getting into running again. You got the running shoes, you know, I came home from work, and I'd start running after work before dinner, and, you know, before I knew it, I was doing 5K and and then 10K, right? And, and then somebody introduced me to a magazine called Runner's World. And uh, that, from that, I got a hold of Joe Henderson's book called Long, Slow Distance. I love that book. The premise of the book was, and about his theory of running, was that what you want to do is just, just go slow. Right? You go slow until you get a sweat on, right? You get the sweat on, and then once you've got that warm body feeling and that sweat on, now pick up your pace. It worked. I could actually get faster and then do a sprint at the end. Unbelievable. Started running 10K races in uh, various events around the, the city of uh, Vancouver and so forth like that. And really, really, really loved it. Mainly because, you know what? I wasn't really that great at it. My times were average at best. But it was helpful in reducing stress. Like, without doubt. You know, there's these things in our body naturally produced called endorphins, right? In running, they actually call the effect of that a runner's high. It's better than other highs, trust me. It's really good. And so I, I really, really enjoyed that. And I bring that up because, listen, in this text here today, Peter's not promising any benefit per se like endorphins, although he is going to suggest to us that living our lives in light of the end of our days is possibly best lived out with a long, slow, distance mindset. Uh, the late uh, author and pastor, uh, Eugene Peterson, wrote a fantastic book. Similar title, similar to Long, Slow Distance. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Anyone read that book? It is a really good book. And on this subject, I would suggest you check that out. So as I alluded to in the introduction, that's part of the reason why Peter, I believe, is writing this. It's part of his point. It leads to the opening line there where he says, The end of all things is at hand. Now, again, it's, it's, it's not, listen, some people would think this, but it's not a promise that Jesus is coming tomorrow. That, that's not the point of the language, actually, I don't believe, and other commentators would agree, that he's trying to get at. No, it's, it's more of an idiom of sorts, and it would be expressed this way. Look at your life, your days upon this earth, and consider what you're doing day by day, day in, day out, with the end in mind. Long, slow, distance. It's okay. It's good. So that day is coming, of course. In the meantime, here are a few guidelines Peter wants to give us on how to live the day-to-day until then. Now, there's three or four guidelines here. That's not the whole deal. Like, there's other things. But these are really good as a Christian. 
for us to focus on so that, yeah, we have the end in mind and it's a, it's a long, slow distance. We don't have to be in a hurry. And so it's the way that we live day after day to remain faithful and obedient to God's call in our life and to his word. So I want to think on that with you a little bit as we unpack this. Besides how hard life can be from time to time, and I've said this before, come on. Yeah, is it hard for Christians with persecution? Wah, wah. Yeah, it is. Life is hard for everybody in this world today. So we must see that. We all potentially, though, I want to suggest to you, struggle with the same impulses that many in the world do. And that is this. We're often more like sprinters, metaphorically, in life, I want to suggest to you. Then we are long, slow distance runners. We suffer from a disease called impatience. Anybody? <laughs> Lucy, really? <laughs> we'll pray for you. Okay. No, it's true, though. We, we, we want to get to certain goals or wherever we want to get in life as soon as possible, right? Um, when we're young, we want to make more money. We want to move up the org chart. Why? Well, so that we can get those toys that we want so we can really enjoy the good life. And, and we want to get those as soon as possible. I understand. It's just true. And, and, and also there's the idea, I think, many people, we, Janice and I went through this when we were younger. Some of you are going through the, this exact same thing today. We, we all want to skip the starter phase of the condo and go straight to the 3,000 square foot four bedroom home, don't we? Yeah, we do. We want to get there ASAP. And so I feel your pain, especially in Squamish. Come on. We feel your pain. These are just a few examples, I think, of how impatient we can be, and that can spill over into our spiritual life. We can become impatient with ourselves. We can be impatient with others. We can feel like it's just the same old, same old, and like, please, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That kind of thing can keep happening to us. So Peter has some really good uh, advice for us here today. But first, I want us to consider some words of Jesus that I'm positive he heard. I'm positive he heard. Of course he did. In uh, Matthew 11, these are famous words. Jesus said to his disciples, Peter being present, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of us are thinking of a good sleep. (laughs) No, actually, Jesus is thinking about the day-to-day. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, you know, like any sermon that's preached on this, there are a lot of lessons in that package of verses, those three verses. But for our purposes this morning, just let me highlight this. It would be a little bit hard to sprint if you were literally, metaphorically yoked to another person, wouldn't it? It'd be hard. Ever done one of those three-legged races? I hate those two, okay? It's too slow. Just can't get there fast enough. You're too, you're too slow. What's wrong with you? Now, imagine as well, you're yoked to Jesus. Do you ever see Jesus in a hurry? In the grand scheme of things, I would suggest he's not that much of a hurry. And so the point here is, 
and the illustration of the yoke is this. If we are able to have the mind of Christ about our lives, about our day-to-day lives, well, we might just receive something more powerful than endorphins in the Christian life. We might experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. Did you see my shoulders drop? (laughs) Right? Earlier in Matthew, after teaching his disciples how they can trust their Heavenly Father for everything, clothes they wear, the food they need, everything. Remember that passage? He concludes with this. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Anybody struggle with anxiety? You're a sprinter. These words are for us here today. I would suggest to you that not, when I analyze this for myself personally, 99% of all my anxiety and stress would evaporate if I were just to enjoy today. Just to relax into today, do what I can today, and no more. Be satisfied when I lie down with what today is held and just have a good sleep. Tomorrow's to-do list I'll look at in the morning. Don't, don't even go there, Right? Not thinking or worrying about what I didn't check off today as well. Not as I'm trying to go to sleep, thinking back of like the last six months, 12 months, three years, whatever, of my failures and shortcomings that people like to remind me of from time to time. No. Instead, I need to remind myself, and I hope you do as, and will as well, that I am in Christ. He is Lord of my life. I have his yoke upon me. He will walk out my day with me tomorrow. I have nothing to fear. Shut your eyes and go to sleep, Glenn. So simple, right? Well, from these opening words, Peter, I think, begins the conclusion of this section with that word that's really important. We'll have it back on the screen here for you. The word, therefore. In light of all this stuff about responding and the persecutions and all the rest of it, therefore, as you live out this life until the very end, this long, slow, distance life, focus on these things day in and day out. Three key areas that we should focus on in our lives. And he begins, of course, in verse 7 with the words, and the suggestion that I have for you is examine yourself. Examine yourself, first of all. Maybe do an, like, like a, just a walkthrough of today. How, did, how, how well did I listen to you, Lord? How did I serve you today? How did I serve my brothers and sisters in Christ today? How did I serve my wife, my husband? How did I do today? Thank you, Lord. I did okay. Thank you. Just review that. But also examine yourselves is what he gets to. He says two things in two ways that we must examine ourselves. First is be controlled. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter, I believe, is referring back to everything he's written so far, but most notably what we looked at last week in chapter verses 2 and 3, where he says, so as to live for the rest of the time. There you have it. Same thing. So as to live for the rest of your life, every day, day in, day out, no longer in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. All of those things that you were doing, those passions of the flesh, all of those things that you did before you came to Christ, you had enough time doing that. You're not to be doing that anymore. And so, 
Again, we see, live the rest of your days in the flesh, the long view. Also, first, self-control, which, quite frankly, if we're all honest, we certainly didn't have much of that before Christ. Well, we had self-control. We were in control. But we chose to do whatever we wanted to do. These are the times when we were given over into those human passions. Some of us, worse than others for sure, but all of us were involved in these things. So now we're daily putting to death this flesh thing, this sinful nature. How? By applying self-control. Yeah, by applying self-control. Day in, day out. For the rest of your life. That's part of the long, slow distance. And of course, being sober-minded. And and that, of course, talks to the idea and the point of, well, not be drunk with wine, but be filled with what? Spirit. Having the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Not the mind of man, not the mind of our culture, but the mind of the Spirit. And so first, Peter urges us to start our day by examining ourselves. And it's connected to how we pray. So yeah, when we're we're praying, first and foremost is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive others who trespass against me. Examine ourselves in light of that and in light of the end of our lives. So also let's not be thinking about, as we're doing that, how everyone else needs to clean up their lives But instead, let's just recognize the logs that are in our eyes and let's deal with them first. Examine ourselves. That's point number one. Point number two is uh, twofold, and it begins in verse 8, and that is love one another. Look what he says. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. There's a bumper sticker for you, right? That's a hashtag. Love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, that's a really good point. So I'm sure that we all know that our Bibles tell us that the greatest commandment of all is what? Mark chapter 12, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He gave a twofold to that, didn't he? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love the Lord your God. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourselves. But personally in this text, I love the fact that Peter puts it first this way. Above all. So so above everything else that we've been teaching about responding and all the rest of that and examining yourselves and your day-to-day and and, and your work and all the other things that you've got to deal with in your life, and they're there. Above all these things, keep. The Greek is, is, is more like this. Keep on loving one another. These one another's in the scriptures, specifically these ones, are your brothers and sisters in Christ, first of all. Keep on loving one another as you love yourselves. Above all the other loves you have in your life, and I'm thinking, and he is, I'm sure, of the many idols we all have, above all, above all of that and those, love one another. And let's be sure we see the two other words before and after loving one another. The first is keep, as I've already mentioned to, and the other is earnestly. Listen, this takes work, right? It takes work to keep on loving one another. Do we disappoint each other once in a while? Do husbands disappoint their wives and the other way around? Do pastors disappoint? Do members disappoint? Yes, 
We sure do. We're being implored to keep on day by day until the end, above all, loving one another. I I, I want to suggest to you that Peter knows his church pretty well, and he also knows his own heart. Our hearts can grow cold. Peter's heart towards Jesus grew cold. He denied him three times. He was more concerned about his own skin than identifying with Christ. It can grow cold. And so keep exhorts us to again think long, slow distance. Just a thought. Those sitting beside you who are in Christ, you're going to be spending eternity with them. It would be a good idea to start loving them earnestly now. Okay? Good news is we won't be annoying each other in heaven, right? We'll be perfect. Won't that be wonderful? So let's keep on loving one another because we do, on a semi-regular basis, let each other down. I went with semi-regular just because I have hope (laughs) that we are getting better at this. So there's much good that has indeed happened at the Rock Church over the past 14 years. Much good because of many of the members of our church that have done wonderful loving and great things and people who've moved on from the Rock Church to go and do wonderful and great things in other churches around the province. But I, I, I have to be honest with you, I will be honest with you as I think about this over the past 14 years, I, I think on the, on, on the whole, we've loved each other well. But one of our greatest struggles has been when we don't keep on, keep on loving one another. And you know what that's born out of? It's born out of unforgiveness. It's when we decide that, you know what, no, I'm done. I cannot forgive. You all know this, but I'm going to repeat it. I I believe that that spirit can be broken on a regular basis if we all would apply Matthew 18. It's not been well applied here at the Rock Church. You know what it is. It's the three-step process that Jesus gave to us to handle each other well, lovingly, if a brother or sister offends us with a great offense, which could be a sin against us or against the church or against someone else in the church. And it's a three-step process that's aimed at one thing, restoring and maintaining both the relationship and the love for one another. We've not practiced that well, church. So let's do that, okay? From now on, and what's most interesting about Matthew 18, people stop there, and I'm like, well, don't stop there. Because Peter, again, Peter, who is writing the text we're reading today, right after Jesus gives the threefold process on how to restore relationships and keep on loving one another, Peter asks that great question, right? Jesus, how many times should I forgive that guy? Really? I mean, how many times? Seven times? Peter thought he was being generous, right? Oh, you got to love Peter. No, Jesus says to him, kind of, I don't know. I won't suggest what the term would be, but he says, Peter, how about 70 times 7? Forgive. Forgive one another. And this is even more important. Listen, above all, above all, when we are being persecuted as a church or as brothers and sisters are being persecuted individually or collectively as the church, because you know what can happen? It can frustrate us. Like, like sometimes people can be like, well, that happened to us because of what you did or didn't do. 
Persecution can do that to you, to a church. And so Peter is getting to the point of, look, keep on, keep on. Don't give up. Don't quit. And earnestly love, deeply love. As much as you love anyone else in your life, love your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Second way that you do that is in verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I I like that. Why in the world would Peter put that there? Well, I'm going to tell you, or suggest it to you anyway. So still on the subject of loving one another, Peter speaks to the need for all of us to live together in what? Rock, we are a family of what? Missionary servants. To live in family together, in community with one another. It's not a solo journey, this Christian life. We need one another to live this life, to hold each other up, to help each other get to the very end, right? And to live to the end, to live in the same spirit that they lived in, the early church in the book of Acts. Remember that great sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? Peter does. He remembers that because I think that's where he's getting the whole model of hospitality from. What happened? He preaches the gospel. They're cut to the heart. They ask Peter, what should we do? What do we need to do, Peter? Well, Peter explains to them that they need to, what? Repent. And this is in verse 38. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to come back to that in a minute on our point number three, but what happens right after that? They think they... They are breaking bread from home to home every day of the week. They just want to be together all the time. It goes on like that for months and months and months in the church. They loved one another. They showed hospitality to one another. But yeah, I, I understand what that... And, and actually, actually, also, Peter is speaking into the whole idea of home church on that day, isn't he? Because most of the churches in Asia Minor gathered where? In their homes. And so he's speaking into that, and he's going, I get it. You've got to open up your homes, right? And people are going to bring their babies and their kids, and they're going to spit up on your Persian rugs. I get it. <laughs> Don't grumble about that. You're going to get some of your plates chipped, you know? Missional community group, anybody? Hello? Anybody host? Right? Don't grumble about it. Yeah. Invite people into your home. Start with your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, and then, yes, your neighbors. (laughs) And that's how we get out and reach out to them. So one of the key ways that we show our love for one another is by inviting our church family into our homes regularly. And that's why we believe so strongly at our church about missional community groups and want you to be in one. So number three, serve one another. Peter goes on in verse Uh, 10 and the beginning of verse 11, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. So again, as I've already said on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born in response to those uh, who heard his sermon, they're cut to the heart. And again, verse 38 will be on screen. Says Jesus, Peter says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And look at this absolute perfect tense word. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will. So Peter tells them, first and foremost, be saved. How? Repent. 
I'm just as guilty as anyone else on that day, they would have said, of crucifying Christ. He died on that cross because of my sins. Repent of that. But then he also says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive forgiveness for your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes people look at that word gift there and they think it is just apply, uh, being applied to the, the idea that you're going to receive upon regeneration the Holy Spirit himself coming to reside in you, live in you, and help to transform you and sanctify you in this life. Amen, that's true. But that's not it. You remember the day of Pentecost? What happened? The gifts of the Holy Spirit were on display in an amazing way. Men and women were speaking in tongues. I'm glad Rudy's on a vacation today because, settle down. No, I'm just kidding. People began speaking in tongues, known languages that they didn't know before and others were hearing. The gifts were on display. Peter, the guy who denied Jesus three times, gets up and boldly preaches and proclaims the gospel. Do you think he has a gift of the Holy Spirit? That's part of what's being implied here. And look, also it says... Really, in the text that we're looking at today, if you go back to chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, each one of you in Christ has a spiritual gift. I also want to suggest to you a palette, a primary, but also more than one. And you know what? In your lifetime, the Holy Spirit can move those around. Why? Because that gift was important at this given time, and now he needs to give you this gift to, to use where? in the body of Christ, to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what they're being given to us for. And so these gifts, are, we are told, are not for ourselves, but they're for the sake of our church family, and therefore we must be in relationship and not just on Sunday morning ticking a box. That's great, but we need to be used. I've said this before, and I'll repeat it this morning. Um, friends, whether it's here on Sunday morning, serving one another in various ways, using our gifts. You know, there's a gift of the Holy Spirit that I I really love. And it's a gift that a lot of people are thinking, I don't know, that's not a really important gift like preaching, right? This is not more important. Do you know what that gift is? Some of you have it, you just don't know. It's called the gift of helps. Do you know what that gift looks like? Hey, pastor, how can I help? Hey, elder, how can I help? Hey, brother, sister, how can I help? That's a gift. Some of you have it. You're just not exercising it. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. The other thing is this, is that, look, when you're not here, when you're not here Sunday morning, when you're not in community group, when you're not really part of the body, when you're really not committed in that way, we suffer. Read Romans 12, verses 3 on. We're a body. Hands, feet, toes, ankles, elbows, sure, mouths are needed. And when they're not present, the body struggles. The body doesn't grow in the same way as it's intended to. And so all of this, the ways in which we live out our lives, this long obedience in the same direction is by first examining ourselves every day as we pray. It's, a, it's by keeping on loving one another and serving one another in the body of Christ with our spiritual gifts And all of these are for one reason and one reason in particular that Peter ends with in the last part of verse 11, which is this. In order that in what? A few things? Everything. 
in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever and amen. I think at this point Peter's dictating or writing this letter and he goes, I'm getting really excited, praise God. Bit of a charismatic preacher there. Okay, that's good. This is, this is, this is really a heralding that he's giving at this time. It's beautiful. I want to close with this, a couple things, two things. One, some of you may have read the book by John Mark Cormer, a fellow that I've mentioned a few times, and the book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. (laughs) And you've been significantly blessed by it. I've heard some people, uh, because I've recommended it before, years ago. Uh, I strongly recommend that to all of you sprinters in life out there. Okay? It's a great book. It's a really good book. It's very, very helpful. But I also think, and I, and I know this to be true, that some of us here today are hearing these words, like sometimes every week, <laughs> uh, and you're saying to yourself, okay, okay, look, I don't know. Sounds good, sounds good, Pastor, but maybe a little too simplistic for me. You don't really know my life. You don't know really what's going on in my life and all the, these other things. And like, I, I'm in a hurry all the time because look, you know, it's just my life, okay? It, it, I have to be. And sure, keep telling yourself that. That's okay. If you're losing sleep at night, we can talk maybe a month from now. But listen, I hear, and I do hear you. I've lived through that. Goodness. I've already confessed that. 99% of the time, I would sleep better if I stopped being anxious about tomorrow, right? But I hear a word like this today, and I'm like, and I hope you will be too. Peter, that's a great word. Thank you. Holy Spirit, that's a really good word. Thank you. Thank you so much. And at the same time, I just, as I was writing this conclusion, I heard the words of the Apostle Paul that I want to leave you with this morning. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. This is months before he is executed. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Yeah, there's, there's an award. It's a righteous crown. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And you know what I think about those words? I want those to be my last words too. How about you? Pray with me, would you?